It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are headed to the winter meetings. Not all of us, but baseball is headed to the winter meetings next week. Jonathan and I will will be there. Jim will not be there this year in Nashville, um, but that's not that's not going to stop Jim from talking about what's going to happen. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to talk. <laughs> all the winter meetings talk will not include me. Um, yeah, we're going to talk winter meetings. We're going to talk about the draft lottery, the Rule 5 draft. Uh, we're going to talk about the scouts of the year. And in fact, we're going to talk to one of the scouts of the year, Cubs National Crosschecker and 2023 West Coast Scout of the Year, Marty Wolliver, will be joining us. And uh, of course, you know, one of the big things everybody's always keeping an eye out on at the winter meetings is the potential for trades, also free agent signings, uh, which impact us uh, because those trades often involve prospects. Those free agent signings often include uh, free agents who received qualifying offers and rejected them and therefore have draft compensation tied to them. So it affects the draft order. Uh, So we're going to talk about all of that. And then we'll wrap up with a question from the mailbag, which does not pertain to the winter meetings. We couldn't, we couldn't even keep our theme with our uh, 98%. Come on. That's pretty good. All right. Uh, Winter meetings, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, starting Monday. The draft lottery is at 5.30 Tuesday, 5.30 Eastern Tuesday. The Rule 5 draft used to be on Thursday. It's now on Wednesday. It is at 2 p.m. Eastern. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Probably yes. no. Um, and then the Scouts of the Year banquet on Thursday. So let's let's get into the draft lottery. Uh, first year, last year, drew a lot of interest uh, during the winter meetings. And it was interesting the way that it played out last year. Yeah, I mean, we didn't know what to expect in, in terms of what would happen. And uh, I, I think there was a lot of buzz in that room, uh, first and foremost. Like to have It was smart to, to have it as a live event. Um, you know, obviously certain teams were... We're thrilled the the Pirates winning the the lottery last year. Uh, certain teams uh, jumped up like the Twins. Uh, I think the the Oakland A's probably got the the short end of the stick, uh, you know, because they were in the mix with the the, the best odds as they are again this year, and uh, and ended up you know drafting a little bit further down. But that's why it's a lottery. So I, I think I think it's really good for the game. Better better than. I thought it would be, uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of excitement regarding who's going to end up, you know, nabbing that number one pick this year. It was an interesting year to have the first lottery, too, just because of the nature of last year's draft, where you had the five players who were all worthy of being a number one overall selection in a typical draft, and you had the Rangers who jumped, I can't remember where they were, they were outside the top five, they jumped up to three, they got, no, was it four? I've lost track of who picked where now. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the Rangers jumped up. I couldn't think of where. If the, only we had access to the internet. Yeah, yeah it's uh, we're, anyway. Well, the point I was trying to make before I sidetracked myself was is the Rangers jumped up in a year where they would wind up winning the World Series and got Wyatt Langford, who could be in the big leagues. They get jumped up to four, and then you had the Twins, who I want to say jumped from thirteen to five, if I remember correctly, and they got Walker Jenkins, who was a potential number one overall talent, yep. and the poor A's, who tied for the worst record in baseball moved down to six and didn't get any of those top five players. So it, this year, it, it's a different type of draft. We'll talk about the draft things working on the draft top 100. I don't even think there's a clear-cut consensus, number one. I bet if we surveyed all 30 teams, you might get seven or eight different names about who should go number one in the draft. I, 
I like the lottery in terms of I think it creates interest in the draft, and I'm all for that. I don't think if the stated reason for the lottery is, oh, this is going to dissuade teams from tanking, I don't necessarily think – I think tanking's overblown. But I think if you're on a path where you're not trying to win, you're building for the future, you're still better off having more figurative – ping pong balls in the hopper to have a high pick, even if you aren't guaranteed the number one pick, like it still behooves you to lose more games than, than fewer games. The interesting twist on it, I think long-term is going to be the rules. And we're seeing it affect the nationals this year, the nationals uh, 71 and 91 this year, uh, you know, didn't have a very good season, but the nationals, because they were in the lottery last year, which, which is the top six picks, they can't pick – they're not eligible to pick in the top six picks this year. They can pick no higher than 10th, and they can move down. Um, and that's determined if the, the, the minutia of the rule is, is basically revenue sharing – you know, small market and big market teams, however they define it. I, I look at it as kind of who gets competitive balance picks and who doesn't. But basically, if you're a smaller market team, a smaller revenue team, you could be in the lottery for two years in a row. But you can't be in it for three years in a row. So if you had, I'd have to look and see, depending on how it plays out this year. Well, let's say the Pirates win the lottery. Last year they had their number one pick. This year they're, they're, they have the eighth best odds. But let's say they jump into top six. Pirates could lose 110 games next year, and they can't pick higher than 10. That's not going to make it easier for smaller teams to rebuild. And if you're a bigger revenue team like the Nationals are, they, because they picked second last year, can't pick high. So I think there may be some unintended consequences that's going to make it harder for smaller revenue teams to build if they're every thir- you know potentially every third year they can't pick higher than ten. But it's it's it is a super interesting process. That's for sure. Right. So the Nationals, despite having the fifth worst record in baseball this year, as you said, uh, not eligible to pick in the top six. The three teams with the uh, highest percentage chance of getting the number one overall pick are the A's, the Royals, and the Rockies at 18.3%. Those percentages, uh, so a quick recap, the, the all the teams that didn't make the postseason are eligible for the lottery. Uh, the odds range from 183 uh, most likely down to 0.2%. So the Mariners, who had the best record among the teams that did not make the postseason, have a 0.2% chance of getting that uh, number one overall pick. Uh, Jim, you mentioned the Pirates. They're sitting at 3%. Uh, and Jim predicting that the Pirates will, will get the number one overall pick. <laughs> well, I mean, well the, the A's are an example. He did actually, just say jump into the top six. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say, you know, the A's had the worst of it all last year. Not only did they not get a top five pick, they got a top six pick. So the A's still were a lottery team. They got the worst lottery pick in a draft where you really want a top five pick. They picked six. So if the A's finish in the top six again this year, and I think we all agree, A's probably aren't going to win a lot of games next year, right? Like, we all think they're probably right. going to lose they, 100 they, games they next year. They have a ways to go. The yeah. A's can't pick, yeah, we'll A's can't pick higher than top than 10 in 2025. Oh, yeah. And, like, I think that's going to be an unintended consequence of the lottery that it's going to hammer some of those teams in that yeah, situation. it'll be interesting to see if maybe that's something that they try to, uh, to adjust moving forward. This is the first go-round of doing this, and you know, I think there's – always going to be some some growing pains and some some learning to be done so i wonder if that is something that's already being taken into consideration for the next iteration when you know when they try to collectively bargain this should we you know there's a great website tankathon where you can simulate lotteries in every sport should we should i hit the tankathon button and just we can do our own draft lottery yeah okay here we go number one pick goes to kansas city royals all right the, the biggest leap, the, the Cardinals jump to number two from number five, and the A's go from one to three. This was not a dramatic move. The biggest drop was the Rockies going from three to seven, and none of the teams in the teens, like the Twins last year, jumped up into the lottery. So there, there you have it. Royals are on the clock. All right. uh, what, other, what other wrinkles are we looking at here uh, with the, the draft order and the draft lottery? So the – Mets, Yankees, and Padres are in the lottery, but because they exceeded the second surcharge threshold of the competitive balance tax, spent a lot of money. Um, Their first overall pick will drop 10 spots. Unless. (laughs) Unless. That was good. (laughs) Unless they get a top six pick. 
Correct. Which Correct. I was wrong about. I was speculating this summer when the Mets were losing. I was like, man, wouldn't it be funny if the Mets won the lottery and then dropped from 1 to 11? But that that can't happen. Can't happen, right. So if they get a top six pick, that sticks. If they don't, then that first pick drops 10 spots. And, and if they do get the top six pick, then their second pick, their second highest pick, drops 10 spots. And I feel like that's not enough. I feel like if I were in charge – their second and third pick should drop ten spots, because the higher pick has higher pick has more right. value. Right, it's it's disproportionate. Yeah. Right, dropping ten spots in the second round is yeah. not the same thing as dropping from ten to twenty in right. the first round. So yeah, I'm sure Steve Cohen glad I'm saying this. You know, I, I want to drop his second and third <laughs> round pick if they win the lottery. Well, as it is, like I don't even want to get into what the baseball world will think if, say, the Mets and Yankees both land in, in the yeah. top six. Yeah, one and two. There one, will two be picks. a lot. There will be a lot of unhappy baseball fans outside of New York. What are the odds of that? The Mets have a four point three percent chance, and the Yankees at have the a number one six percent yeah. chance. Yeah, well, well but it's at that chance is of getting the number one overall pick, right? Right. I think yeah, I'm saying, still, what, 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 uh, we need someone uh, more intelligent than the three of us combined to figure out what the what the odds are of those two teams getting the one two picks, don't we? Sure. At least yes. on the spot here. All right. Uh, some other some other things we know about the draft order quickly. Um, is that the D-backs and the Orioles are getting uh, prospect promotion incentive picks, PPI picks, at number 31 and number 32 because uh, Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson won Rookie of the Year. They were both on their team's opening day rosters as players who were ranked as top 100 prospects by at least two of three entities, uh, MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, and ESPN. Uh, so very valuable picks there. Um, and there's there's a, a range in the draft that I'm really interested to see where we're going to have, you know, the D-backs, you know, both of those teams had good years. So they're at the, toward the end of the first round. And then they have their PPI picks. Mm -hmm. And then we have the, uh, the CBA round. Right. And I think the Orioles and D-backs are going to make like five picks within about a 10-pick window or something like that. That's going to be an interesting segment. Well, and I think that uh, not only is it extra picks, but <clears throat> you know because of the draft pool system, like their pools are going to be much larger than you would think for a team picking in the back half of the first round uh, because if we look at what the Mariners were able to do uh, in, in this past draft because they had the PPI pick. Uh, you know, they have extra picks as well, and it, it allows for some more flexibility. You can be a little more aggressive. You might be able to, you know, get some, especially the sort of high-end high school guys who might be tougher to sign. Uh, although, as of right now, 2024 draft class does not look like the best class in terms of those kinds of players, but they always surface as the spring goes on. So uh, they should, uh, both those teams should be able to, to have some fun, you know, uh, in the you know the back half of that in that segment of the draft as we were talking about. Yeah, we should know the uh, those competitive balance round uh, picks. We should know those here in the next few days. The one other pick we know so far, based on compensation for a free agent signing that was offered a qualifying offer, uh, is the Twins will be uh, picking at what is currently number thirty three, and all all of this is subject to change based on. The lottery and you know where the Mets, Yankees, and and uh, Padres, do we say? Um, yes. Yeah, where where they end up, um, but the Twins will get uh, that compensation pick uh, following the PPI picks. All right, that's the draft lottery. Uh, let's move on to the next day, Wednesday, and the Rule Five draft. You guys have, uh, along with Sam Dykstra, we put together a list of all the ranked prospects who face the Rule 5 uh, draft uh, situation this year, uh, either had to be protected, added to their team's 40-man roster, or become eligible for the Rule 5 draft. Talked about that last week. Um, now we know who the players are who are eligible for this year's draft, and it's, it's not like the highest-ranked players, uh, highest-ranked prospects are necessarily the guys uh, getting taken, but you guys have identified uh, some intriguing names. Uh, we're going to have a story with the most intriguing Rule of Five eligible prospect for each team. And what we want to do here is you guys are going to talk about uh, one of those names from each of your teams that you think 
could get taken. One of those names from each of our teams, it would be 20 guys, Jason. I don't think you want that. Not, not each one. I, I know what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was just going to lay out because I know how much Jim loves the Rule 5 draft, so I was going to kind of let him sort of wax. Uh, That's why I'm not going to winter meetings this year until they do away with the Rule 5 draft. I'm not going to intend. It's just my, my silent you're, protest. You're, you're hosting a house party. Let's, let's be honest. We're going to have like 100 people ever listening. Do we get? Will there be audio, live audio? Yeah. Are you going to be commentating or no? No. 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 I think you should. So I'm, I'll throw that out there. Just like I was trying to get you to go to the World Series, I want a Jonathan Mayo solo cast. You can sit in a, you sit a, sit in a corner well, of the we, ballroom. We, we, I mean, it, you've done it with Tim McCaster. We've done it, but it, it was an intro on you know, sort of filling between the major and minor league. I would like, sit in a corner well, of the we, ballroom, commenting on each pick as it happened. Each pick. Should I do it like in my golf, golf announcer voice? Five boys. <laughs> yeah. The twins are approaching the microphone. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, but I'll, I'll throw out a name here for you that, that's interesting because he really didn't pitch much this year. But R.J. Dabovich, who's in the Giants system, he's a reliever from Arizona State, was a fourth-round pick in 2020. I, I, I guess should we explain the, the parameters here? We should, yes. Okay. For, for those unfamiliar with the rule. I think I have this. You like, do. I, I, I can't yeah. keep, keep track of all. You need to set the, it to music. All the on. draft rules of who picks where because they change so much. Essentially, it depends on the age you are when you sign your first professional contract. If you're 18 years or younger, you're eligible for the draft after your fifth professional season. And if you sign at 19 or older, you're eligible after your fourth professional season. And that's if you're for, not on your team, uh, not on your team's 40 man major league roster. And by professional season, it doesn't mean like if you missed a whole season for injury, that doesn't count. It's like the clock starts ticking. Like if I sign a 2020 contract, I'm a college player, I sign a 2020 contract. 2020, there were no minor, there was no minor league season, but 2020, 2021, 22, 23, now I'm eligible. So RJ Davovich falls in that boat. He was a fourth round pick from Arizona State. And on the positive side, you look at this stuff and you're like, this guy could help right away. I mean, it's a 93, 99 mile an hour fastball with a really flat approach angle. So it has a ton of carry at the top of the strike zone. And while you're trying to deal with that, he has a mid 80s curveball and it's a curveball shape that drops through the bottom of the zone. So if you're trying to catch up to the fastball at the top of the zone in the upper 90s, then he just throws this power curve and you're swinging way over the ball. The, the downside, and the reason I think that the Giants didn't protect him, is he had an impingement in his right hip. He made four AAA appearances before he had surgery this year, and that was it. So there's not a lot of track record. Now, one of the other Rule 5 guidelines is if you take a guy, I think it's $100,000 now, you have to keep him on your major league roster for the entire season active major league roster if you put him on the dl and he's not active for enough then it, the rules carry over the next year and if you don't keep him on your major league roster you either have to expose him to waivers and then offer him back to his original club fifty thousand dollars it almost enhances his rule five pickability to coin a new phrase rule five pickability <laughs> for rj davovich like that you legitimately could start him on the injured list at the beginning of the season and not have him eat up an active major league roster spot. I believe, and I might be wrong, I can't remember if it's 90 days or 120 days you have to be active, but you can put him on the DL. He can do some rehab time in the minors. So in a way, you don't have to keep him up on the minor major league roster for the entire for the entire season. But so he's he's interesting just because I do think it's big league ready stuff. He needs to refine a little bit more, but you didn't really get a chance to scout him this year because he was hurt. And that fits that. I think that fits the profile of guys that we normally look at for for Rule Five. I'm, you know, I think the tendency is to look for power relief arms. You know, and, and those guys have a better chance of, of sticking. But I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a, a hitter. Uh, interesting backstory. I'd be curious to see if it you know will work. You know, at the next level. You look at last year's Rule Five. The best player from that was Ryan Noda who finished with the 2.3 war for the year and played almost every day for the A's and probably will again. Um, so I'm looking at Junior Severino of the Twins. Uh, you know, he he was originally signed by the Braves, uh, you know, back in the 2016-17 signing class, signed for $1.9 million, and then was one of those players who was declared a free agent as a penalty for the Braves uh, and international signing violations. Twins signed him for $2.5 It's kind of been slow going, and he's developed a power over hit profile that, that's kind of interesting. He had 35 homers last year, 
Uh, did not hit as well when he got to AAA, but the power was still there. The OPS was almost 900. He does strike out a good amount. He drew more walks uh, this year, so you know it's a decent amount of walks. He's shown <clears throat> some. It's one of those things: is it defensive flexibility, or you, they don't know where to play him? But if you're looking at a Rule Five guy, as someone you might want to just plug in as a role player. Uh, he's played second. He's played third. He's played some first base, including uh, in the Dominican Winter League. You know this this off season. Uh, so maybe he could fill in at three different infield positions with uh, you know some legitimate power from both sides of the plate. I think he's the kind of guy that is liable to get taken, and you take a long look at spring training and. And see if you think the, he's going to make enough contact for him to to be able to impact. And he's only 24, so it's not like he, you know, Ryan Oda was a little bit older. Um, so I think that you know Severino sort of moved uh, himself into position to to be taken. And I'm thinking the Twins are think guessing that maybe the the swing and miss issues will keep teams from being too interested or give them less of a chance to stick. Yeah, if you have the the 40 man roster spot open. The most you're going to lose is fifty fifty thousand. If the right. team takes a player back, you lose fifty thousand dollars. And you know, like you point out, like like for the A's last year, they got an everyday player. I mean, it's not like the A's, you know, made to the playoffs, but they they filled an everyday player they basically got for free. Um, and and there's value in that. Um, I, I did check the rule while you were talking about Severino. For play, if a rule five guy is kept on the injured list, he has to get a minimum of ninety days on the active big league roster. Or else the Rule Five guidelines spill into the next year mm-hmm. until he gets to ninety active days. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not the biggest Rule Five fan. Let's let's give the fans what they want. There are Rule Five fans out there. A lot of them. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with another player. Can I can I pick a second player? <laughs> I am. Uh, I know. I this is where Jim's like tepid response to the Rule Five and his inability to pick just one player have collided. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like in my my desire to pick multiple players overwhelms my antipathy, my lack of avidity for the Rule 5 draft. Um, All right, give us, our, give us our bonus. So I'm giving you a bonus Astro, Justin Durden of the Astros. He had a huge year in 2022. I thought he had a chance to make the opening day roster. Um, he led the minor, They led their farm system in a bunch of categories in 2022. And then he wound up not making the opening day roster, had, came up with a hamstring injury, Hit 231 with a 710 ops in, in AAA, missed about six weeks of the season. You know, this is a guy who's a non-drafted free agent, signed back in, in 2020 out of Southeast Missouri State. But he's got power. He's got some play discipline. He's 6'3", 210, but he's deceptively athletic for, for a bigger guy. He could play all three outfield spots. And I think this is a guy who could be, you know, he's probably not an everyday outfielder, but a useful fourth outfielder. Um, who is available, frankly, because he, he had a down year. So it's, that, that's my, my bonus Rule 5 guy for you, Jonathan. You, you picking Junior Severino and talking about a bat inspired me to come up with a, a position player. Well, you're, you're helping me put together my, like, intriguing names to watch as you know prior to the Rule 5 draft. So it's just, you know. No. What's, what's his Rule 5 pickability? Um, I think his Rule 5 pickability is high because he, he's spent a full season in AAA. He missed six weeks with an injury. But this isn't a guy – that you're promoting, you know, you're, you're taking a guy who's tooled up, but he's in high A, and it's a big leap. So I think his Rule Five pickability, twenty eighty scale. I assume it's on the twenty eighty scale. It always uh, is. I'm going to give him a, a, a sixty wow. Rule Five pickability. Okay, that's damn near a lock. No, right. no, no, not a lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, Rule Five draft uh, Wednesday, two p.m. Eastern. Uh, you'll be able to follow that live on MLB.com. I thought I was going to inspire Jonathan to pick another guy, but well, we, well, we have somebody got to move on here. We got to get the Marty. I could talk Rule Five all the time. Uh, hence, you should do the commentary live at the winter right. meetings. <laughs> I'm just going to call you and do it straight to you. So, Tuesday draft lottery, Wednesday Rule Five draft, Thursday Scouts of the Year. Um, those scouts being recognized this year are as follows: East Coast Scout of the Year, Bobby Heck. Uh, Ray's special assistant to the GM and president. The Midwest Scout of the Year, Chuck Lamar, Padres professional scouting cross-checker. International Prospect of the Year, Rolando Fernandez of the Rockies, VP of International Scouting and Development. 
and the Distinguished Women in Baseball Award will go to Linda Smith, longtime employee of the Royals, Braves, Rangers, who retired in uh, 2017 and worked in the scouting departments for those teams. And then our guest coming up, West Coast Scout of the Year, Marty Wolliver, Cubs National Crosschecker. We are going to talk to him right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and very pleased to welcome in our special guest, Marty Wolliver, who is one of the award recipients at this year's Scouts of the Year at the winter meetings. And Marty, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. That's great to be with you guys. So, uh, Marty, the Cubs national cross-checker, but you have been in the scouting business for 40 years, 40 plus years. Where, where are we at now? <laughs> yeah, I just finished my 40th year and about ready to start 41. All right. So Tigers, Yankees, White Sox, Phillies, Marlins, Cubs, uh, inducted to the Professional Baseball Scouts Hall of Fame in 2009 and now being uh, recognized at this year's winter meetings uh, and at the Scout of the Year banquet, and I'm, I'm sure you've been to this many, many times. Uh, what, is, what does it mean to you to be recognized this year as the uh, West Coast Scout of the Year? Well, I, you're, you're correct. I've, I've been to many of these over the years during the winter meetings and um, never anticipated being on the stage um, and, and listening to so many productive scouts over the years. It was really a, a, a privilege and I always enjoyed it. I look forward to it. Um, and, and this year means a, a great deal to me because it's, it's voted on by your peers. And I think that's, uh, that's significant uh, in that uh, you interact with these guys I have for 40 years, many of them. And uh, it, it means a lot more probably than uh, uh, some other ways that, uh, you know, you would get voted in. Marty, Jim Callis here. I'm always interested in how guys got into scouting. I, I know you were you were drafted out of high school in Iowa, and you played a couple of years as an outfielder in the Reds and Expos systems, I believe. And then you became a high school coach. And if I'm correct, I think you had just taken a job as an assistant coach at Kansas State, and then you got into scouting with the Tigers. How did that come about, and who were some of your, your scouting mentors early in your career? No, you're you're exactly right, Jim. I uh, <laughs> I thought my bat was not very good. Uh, you know, uh, when I signed out of high school, I was a football guy at the University of Nebraska, and uh, I was going to play football. and And then I got drafted in the summer, and the Reds made a better offer, so I went ahead and signed. Uh, and uh, you know, played a couple of years, not very much success at all. Played behind a lot of guys, and. Um, then went back and, you know, I realized I needed to finish my college degree. So I went back and finished that, uh, got into high school coaching there in the Omaha metro area at a Catholic school and then at uh, a public school there in Council Bluffs and uh, uh, wanted to get into college coaching. I, I thought that's where I wanted to be. And, and uh, along with the help from uh, Bill Clark and Bob Oldest and a few people, a few scouts, I ended up at Kansas State as an assistant with Bill Hickey uh, at Kansas State and truly enjoyed that. And in the fall, um, George Bradley, who was the scouting director for the Tigers, uh, came through to watch a fall game and uh, had watched me in high school. And that's actually who I thought I would be drafted by in high school was the Phillies. But uh, nonetheless, he cornered me afterward and asked if I would be interested in managing and scouting in the minor leagues. And I said, yeah, I'd certainly consider it. I, you know, if it's with you, it's something I would definitely consider. And lo and behold, at Christmas time, he called and 
and uh, Jimmy offered me an area scouting job with the Tigers in the Midwest and uh, also a chance to manage uh, in the minor leagues, in the uh, rookie leagues. And uh, I took it and left Kansas State then at uh, Christmas and started at the beginning of the year with Detroit. Uh, Jonathan Mayo, congratulations. Uh, we love the, the reception also and looking forward to it. You've done just about everything there is to do as a scout, area scout, cross-checker scouting director. Is there is there one role that you've had that you've enjoyed the most? I mean, do you, do you look back to your time as an area scout and 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 not that you would want to to do it now 40 years later. I think that's a job for for younger people than than all of us, uh, but uh, the, the 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 more direct interaction with amateur players that that provides you do you look back and and miss any of that what you know, what what have been some of your favorite uh, your favorite spots along this storied career well thanks Jonathan you just aged me and I appreciate that <laughs> but, but uh, no you know all of them not all of them but most of them uh, were were um, uh, wonderful places to work uh, it, for me it was always about the people you work with and if that's a good group then it makes the job much easier. It's uh, much more enjoyable, a lot more fun to go out and actually see players and interact with all the other scouts. Um, as an area scout, when I first started, I had uh, uh, George Bradley as a mentor and a few other gentlemen along the way that helped me get my feet on the ground and, and try to figure out what I was doing. Um, then I ended up uh, following George to New York after I left Detroit to the Yankees when he went as a GM. And uh, But the area jobs were fun. Uh, it was always a group of guys that you knew and enjoyed and competed against. Uh, regionally, uh, I enjoyed that as well. And then probably my most, obviously my most uh, enjoyable time was in was uh, to to run a department and to to um, you know interact with all the cross checkers and area scouts, try to make their jobs easier, uh, and and obviously try to draft and sign you know quality major league players. So. I would say that was probably the most enjoyable. Now on the downside, as I call it, the back nine here, uh, it was. I, I had a great time in Miami uh, with uh, DJ Civilic as like a senior advisor, where uh, he would ask questions and I would try to help him along the way. And and uh, certainly now finishing up here with the Cubs, uh, Dan Kantrovitz has been tremendous, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful group there. So you know, all in all, the majority of the places that I stopped were great. Uh, and uh, and the people that I spent time with were were really truly fun to be around. You mentioned that you were a football guy, uh, headed to Nebraska to play. That's that's uh, a serious program there. I think that was in the the Tom Osborne days. Uh, so you you were obviously a uh, uh, an incredible football player. I saw that you also. It, you were also a very good basketball player. Do you remember your uh, you remember your your stats from uh, your senior year? <laughs> you remember what you averaged? No, I think you know what no. I, it was close to twenty points a game, and and uh, we I and just, thirteen you know, rebounds and six assists. That's uh, no. <laughs> not no. bad. So I was I was curious, you know, in your your line of work and having come from that sort of background where you played multiple multiple sports. When you're looking at guys now, uh, and, and over the past years, do you do you prefer? Is there any preference as to multi-sport athletes, guys that focus, you know, that are strictly focused on baseball year-round now? It, it does it? I would imagine it, you know, varies from case to case. But any general preference there? Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, I was always biased toward football guys. Uh, Ricky Williams, we took another uh, gentleman out of Florida that played in the NFL. Um, and just to see if these guys, uh, Eric Strickland was a basketball player with the Dallas Mavericks that uh, we had interest in. I think he went out with Miami at that point in time. But uh, to answer your question, no, I um, it's difficult to be a multi-sport athlete these days because of the demands, uh, the showcases, um, uh, all the other extras that go along with it. Uh, you know, uh, it's difficult to find those guys, but when I do find them, I really spend much more time with them because uh, I think it's important from a competitive standpoint that they're able to put one down and pick another up and compete and succeed, you know, in regards of whatever, if it's basketball, if it's football, 
so those guys always had a, a, a close place with me and spent a lot of time with those guys. I wanted to ask you about your, your first first round pick as a scouting director. And, you know, Cole Hamels went on and had a you know, tremendous career. You know, I think he was, if I remember correctly, the NLCS and World Series MVP when the Phillies won in 2008. A lot of players on that roster that you drafted either as a scouting director or were involved with as a, as a cross-checker before that. But at the time, there was a lot of concern about Cole Hamels. He had broken, I think, the humerus in his left arm, not pitching like Dave Dravecki did. I, I don't even know if I ever knew the exact story I'd heard. He ran into a car playing touch football on the street. And, but there was a lot of concern that, like, how healthy was he? You, you The whole – I get tired of, like, oh, you can't draft high school pitchers in the first round because they're too risky. But you had that going, too. Just walk us through that process with drafting Cole Hamels because there was more injury concerns than you would have with a typical first-round pick, especially being a pitcher in a broken arm. And that was your first first-round pick. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it was very interesting. And, and prior to that, the year before, um, Jim, we took uh, Gavin Floyd. And at that point in time, Mike Arbuckle stepped aside and, and uh, handed it off to me. Uh, Ed Wade and Mike handed it off to me. And we didn't have a second or third pick. Our, my fourth pick was Terry Jones, who's an agent. And then our fifth pick was Ryan. My fifth pick was Ryan Howard. So uh, the year before with Ryan was really good and it kind of set the stage, I think, for Cole in that, um, um, you know, it, it's really it's about your eyes and your innate ability to take a look and listen to what your scouts have got to say. Daryl Connor was our area scout at the time, and I probably saw Cole pitch three different times. And each time I went, I liked him even more. Um, uh, just the command of, of the, the changeup was incredible. Even in high school, he had a, a decent breaking ball that needed work, and his fastball was a plus. Um, and he was very composed on the mound, which he exemplified, I think, throughout his career. So, uh, frankly, it wasn't really a difficult decision. The tough part was staring him down to us. And I knew there was a club in front of us that had a lot of interest. They were a West Coast team. And uh, I actually called the day of the draft the morning of and talked to that director and and uh, told him that uh, we were going to back off because our doctors uh, were concerned about the medical. And so we probably, we weren't, we weren't going to take him. And I planted the seed and he said that they said the same thing, their doctors. Uh, and once we got past that hurdle, I felt like, you know what, he was going to be all ours. And we did extensive research and looked into it. And Jim, I supposedly he did crash on his skateboard into the back of a truck. I, you know what, to this day, I'd have to sit down with him and ask him if that's a legit story. But uh, the stuff was way too good to pass up at that point in time. And, uh, you know, it was just, it, quite frankly, it was a no-brainer. I thought we, we got a top-of-the-rotation guy from the left side with a plus changeup uh, that, uh, you know, physically needed to fill out a little bit. But once he did that, I felt like he could really be a dominant pitcher in the major leagues. But to this day, Marty, you still won't name what – team that was that you talked to or who the scouting director was like I, I appreciate the still keeping it close to the vest now all these years after drafting Cole Hamels but uh, I wanted to ask you know Jim asked you about the you know, first round pick but uh, I want to give you the chance to maybe talk about some of the later round picks that you have specific pride in and uh, and I'm sure you have some great stories on guys that you missed on like a guy man I should have gotten him and he went right after us uh, you know, should have listened to to a scout. Uh, I've I, I found that scouts like to talk about the guys that they they missed on almost as much as the guys they hit on. But are there some 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 guys, and maybe from that that successful Phillies team, or what, at any point in your career, that you take specific pride in? Uh, you know, whether it's as an area scout or even when you were sitting in the director's chair listening to an area scout for some of those later rounds of, of guys who turned into really valuable big leader, big leaguers. No, it's it, Jonathan. It's a, a great question. And I, a lot of the times guys like to have a, a cocktail or two and talk about all the great players they've signed. And uh, we forget about all the guys that we swung and missed on. And I certainly have got a closet full of those. Um, uh, but some of the ones that I'm still proud of today are, um, you know, like Dominic Brown, who was a later round pick, ended up being a National League All-Star. Um, and and uh, Darren Ruff, who I think finished out this year probably, might be the end of his career, but he was a later pick out of Creighton. Um, Tyler Cloyd, a kid that 
that uh, had flunked out of the University of Nebraska in Omaha. And uh, Tyler, uh, we, we took him, even though he had he didn't pitch in the spring, on the on the uh, on the word of the pitching coach there. That's a good friend of mine. So uh, some of those guys, and then I get into guys like Arnie Baylor, who uh, when I was with Detroit when I first started was a guy that I called on the phone after the draft and offered him a contract and a thousand dollars with Detroit, and he signed and went on to be a big league uh, coach and has been a minor league manager for a long time. So. Uh, those are the guys that I really pull for. Uh, Craig Wilson, the Kansas State shortstop that played on the Olympic team that we took later in the draft with the White Sox that got some big league time. Uh, some of these guys probably weren't as significant major leaguers career-wise as um, some of the others, but what they had to persevere <laughs> to continue on to get there, uh, it's, it's amazing. What they had to overcome uh, to get there is amazing. and I'm, I'm really proud of those guys. And Aaron Altier is another kid with uh, Philadelphia that was a later round pick that uh, finished up, I think, in Korea. Might have been in the Independent League this year. So there's there's a bunch of them, and they're great kids, great makeup, great families, and really proud of all of them. I think that's one of the things that doesn't often get talked about is that it's not even just getting guys to the big leagues. Obviously, that's the ultimate goal, but just bringing people into the sort of extended baseball family as scouts and coaches, you said, I think that's great. The, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Marty, is that, you know, because, and again, I guess I'm the guy who asks the uh, let Marty talk about how long he's been doing this and how old he is questions, but uh, you've <laughs> seen the game change in terms of how players are evaluated. And I'm wondering just from your vantage point, uh, how you've managed to sort of uh, adjust with the times, uh, the incorporation of, of more data and more analytics. Uh, it hasn't always been a smooth road, I think, for the scouting industry. And I'm just wondering, uh, since you've been in the game for as long as you have, just what your take is on how the game has changed in that way over the years. Yeah, it, you know, it's a, that's a frequently asked question. And um, I consider myself progressive and always trying to look outside the box did in, in Philadelphia for many years and um, trying to, how can we make things better? How can we improve the selection of players? How can we increase the odds of them succeeding and being major league players down the road? Uh, analytics has provided us with a lot of data that um, as Mike Radcliffe and I used to talk all the time, we talked about this stuff uh we just had a different language than what it is today in, in the analytics world. Uh, so it was always a part of our program, maybe not to the extent that it is now, uh, but it was always a part of our program. Uh, and I welcome it. That's, that's certainly a piece of the entire puzzle. The problem I have is what we just alluded to earlier is about the makeup of the player. It's about their support system. It's about how do they handle failure? Who's going to be there to help them through the process? How are their work ethic? Um, how's their aptitude? Are they going to be able to incorporate all the analytics that are presented to them and make changes to their swing or when they're on the mound? All those things are, are extremely important. And I think sometimes they get overlooked uh, in the analytics world uh, just simply because they don't measure up to what a successful major league player is. And for me, the, 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 big, uh, the big part of that equation is to look at a 17-year-old high school pitcher and quantify him based on analytics, not knowing how big he's going to, to get, uh, how strong he's going to get. All those things come into play. And I'm sure there are some models that try to do that, uh, but that's a crystal ball in my world. And that's very difficult to do. So um, I, I think it should be a blend of scouting. Uh, trust your eyes, trust your innate ability, know the support system, listen to your area scouts and a blend of analytics to really succeed and do well. Marty, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations, uh, 2023 West Coast Scout of the Year to be recognized at the winter meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna look at some teams that have the prospects to potentially make a big deal during the winter meetings. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast, Winter Meetings Edition. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, who are about to tell us some teams that have the prospect capital to potentially pull off a big deal at the winter meetings. We like to draft things around here. So we're going we're gonna to draft these teams. Uh, and Jim and Jonathan will be selecting uh, in order of what they feel is the likelihood that these teams will actually pull off a bit. No. I thought we were drafting based no, on which teams have, have the most, most talent to trade. Oh, not not on the likelihood. Okay, we, we can try. I don't know the likelihood. Okay, yeah. all right. Most, just, okay. just to clarify. The reason to clarify because there are teams that have – I'll give an example. Braves are not going to be in, get drafted because they don't have a rich farm system. The Braves are not going to get drafted. I'm, I, I I think that's oh in our draft yeah, in, in our draft, draft right now I'm disappointed I want to go thirty deep so in our in our draft they're not going to get drafted because they don't have a a enough depth to make this kind of list. However, if we were doing it solely based on teams we think are likely to make a trade, great call. I think the Braves would make the list because they will trade whatever it is they have to help a team continue to win. Sorry. Yes, that's the that's the very good. Place. Thank you. Well, mini mini mock draft. Of our we revolted there. We we we, we revolted against Jason. <laughs> Overruled. All right. Uh, so as usual, not and not only did we not have the parameters clearly set here, uh, we also don't have our first overall pick set. Uh, We're actually all together here, though, I, so we can actually have a flip Jim's baseball card here. My, my yeah. Colson Montgomery card that Paige Schechter gave me. You can, right. Don't damage my. Are you going to flip it? Is it going to flip with a plastic think, sleeve? Wait, 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 which wait. side? Who's calling it? Um, it's his card. Jim is. Well, then, see, then Jonathan should call it because I know the properties of the card much better than him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, this will make for exciting sure. podcast fodder. Uh, heads or tails? You're calling it? Heads. There you go. Yeah, heads it is. Jonathan. I just gave a Dave DeBusher, got Patrick Ewing in the line. I don't know if it actually like cut there. flipped. Like, I think it just kind of. I'll look at you. Sunk you, enough. Flip, no, I mean, you should have the number one pick. Conspiracy theory. Then I got the number one pick when we drafted draft it's, players. Well, I have the number one pick because we flipped the card, yeah. honestly. Yeah. You deserve it. And okay. I was going to steal your team anyway. So I, my mock draft already knows who you're picking. I know who you're picking. I have a mock draft for everything. I do. I do have the mock. Here, here, here. I'll, I'll pause show Jason on my screen. And that's who he's picking. Is it the Baltimore Orioles? It is the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, I think, listen, if you're going to have the number one pick in a draft like this, you got to take the team with the best farm system that made the playoffs and has a chance uh, to to win it. I, I was thinking about, we had a, a story on MLB.com that Mike Petriello wrote about top five in his estimation, starting pitching uh, targets in the trade market. And, you know, if you look at what the Orioles need, you know, they need starting pitching. They don't have it in their farm system. I mean, they have, you know, they have some interesting arms, but it's really mostly been bats that they've, successfully been uh, drafting, signing, and developing. So they now have uh, a pretty good log jam in a a bunch of different spots that they could choose to trade from. And I think, you know, the, the benefit is that they're all at the upper levels and could get a chance to hit a, a rebuilding big league lineup, you know, right out of the gate in 2024. So that's why I think they're the, the number one pick. You look in the outfield and, you know, you've got Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad, you know, both touching the big leagues, both presumably deserving of a, of a chance without room for both of them necessarily in the outfield. You look on the dirt and, you know, obviously Jackson holiday is not going to get traded. Um, but, Maybe Connor Norby or Jordan Westberg uh, or Joey Ortiz could get traded, and and they all have some positional flexibility. Uh, you've got Kobe Mayo at the corner spots. 
either trade him or maybe Ryan Mountcastle's available. Um, you know, on the big league side, you've got Samuel Basayo coming up uh, behind the plate. And obviously you've got Adley Rushman. They can't both catch full time. Uh, Basayo's, you know, uh, super young. So he doesn't quite fit the same uh, sort of description as some of those other guys. But they have so much talent pooling at the upper levels that to me they're the obvious pick. Yeah, I thought so too for all the reasons you said. And hence the mock draft. So yes. who am I picking? Who am I picking at the second pick? Uh, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Dodgers. You're correct. So wow. we, we we've just, been working together a while. <laughs> we, we we can just pick for each other. Um, but that's why no, I am going to pick the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers continue to having have all kinds of regular season success, and they only have one World Series championship to show for it. So I think they're very motivated. Their pitching staff was reeled by injuries this year. Whether it's Dylan Cease or whoever, I think they are going to trade for a significant starter this season, and, and they have the, the prospect capital to do it. They, they two of their best prospects right now are catchers in Dalton Rushing and Diego Cartaya. They have a very good catcher in the big leagues already in Will Smith. They have Michael Bush, who is a very interesting bat. They don't have an obvious place for him in their big league lineup. Miguel Vargas doesn't count as a prospect anymore. He graduated this year, but. He just graduated. He's a young guy who who could be expendable. They have all kinds of pitching, whether it's Nick Frasso or Gavin Stone or guys like River Ryan and Landon Knack and Peyton Martin. And again, they've graduated just this year, but Emmett Sheehan, Ryan Pepio, they have a bunch of assets. I, I actually think they're going to go out and acquire Dylan Cease, or I, I think they can cost control him, I think, for a couple more years. So that I'm, I will be I'm drafting them second, and I'm telling you, Wow. And my prediction is they will they will they will pull off a Dylan Cease trade with the Whites. Like those teams also know each other super well. They share the same complex in Arizona. So I think if there's any farm system, the White Sox probably know, you know, not necessarily as well as their own, but you know, the, the, the farm system they know well better than any other farm system besides their own, it would be the Dodgers. And I think there's all kinds of talent there. And, and they can definitely work out a match. So I, I think the Dodgers are motivated, just like you talked about the the Orioles being motivated. Um, so what's what's uh, what's your Orioles winter meetings prospect tradeability? Tradeability. You know, I hedge it a little bit because they've been so reluctant to do. They didn't yeah. do something huge at the. I'll say fifty-five. Whoa! I was gonna. I, I would have gone seventy on the Orioles. Really? I think they have a log jam and they need pitching. I think they need to. Yeah. You know. You know. The, that I think there's always that point in time where, like, boy, we've worked so hard to build this yeah. incredibly deep farm system. How much of it are we w- willing to to let go? I I think that they have the ability to make the trade and not feel like they've sort of cleared out the the covers how about the dodgers what's their i'm gonna go 65 65 on the dodgers all right well i'll up i'll up i'll up my orioles to 65 to to match that all right i was being conservative all right we went backwards there from from number two back to number one let's let's move forward to pick number three and jonathan i I think i think you're going with the rays i am not okay all right um, I, I was thinking about them and I'm realizing now that I think we, I have, think you're just not picking them because I said, no, no, no. We have a tendency to <laughs> pick no. the teams that we oversee their or do their list for. So I'm going to pick the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I, I just, you, I feel like the 2023 season, they were ahead of schedule. Uh, and even talking to people within their organization, like they felt they were ahead of schedule. Uh, they're in the lottery but they finished over 500. They hung around for a long time. They have shown a uh, a willingness to make trades, you know, in both directions at the deadline and things like that. I don't think they're afraid to deal. Uh, so, you know, previously they've largely been making trades to bring in uh, young prospect kind of talent. Uh, you know, you, you look at the top of their top 30 list now, Noel Marte, Edwin Arroyo, you know, both came via via the trade and, you know, among others. It's not like they're not quite at the top of our of our farm system rankings, but it's a good system. I think they feel that they're probably close. The National League Central is wide open. Uh, you know, there's no clear cut winner. So I think they if they could bring in uh, Dylan Cease. I'll just use him as a, an example. I mean, I guess I should have them making a trade with the Mariners since they seem to like to do that more often than not. The trade for, I think, Mike Petriello put uh, 
Logan Gilbert on on his starting pitcher story. I don't know how feasible that is, but that's a guy they'd have under control for quite some time. Uh, I do think that they do have some pieces that are close to to big league ready. Not quite the log jam of the Orioles, and maybe not quite the depth of the Dodgers, but still a very good system uh, and an ability to uh, give them a real chance to win the NL Central next year. Tradeability. Uh-oh. Well, so we, we went 65 with those two. I will go 60. Okay. This is clearly making it into the story. I think it's so. a tradeability. <laughs> the tradeability grade. Tradeability grade. All but right. They don't, but they, we like to draft things. We like to grade things. Yes. Scale, yeah. so. okay. They don't have to go in. in they're not necessarily going to go in decreasing order. More on tradeability, right? You're, no, that's true. We might disagree. That, that was, yeah, that uh, was my idea for uh, for how I, you should be drafted. right. I'm you shot down. This is a hybrid. Hybrid. No, no, we're we're talking we're talking about who has. I think the the pro, we're we're drinking more to prospect depth, but then how likely we think they're right, right, right. Which means, yeah. like, we could say the you know the the Reds have depth. But their but their tradeability grade might be lower than right, whatever right. goes next. Right, so, yeah. I mean, would go like fifty-seven and a half if that were our thing. So, but uh, we'll keep it at sixty. I'll go ish. And I think you're going to take the Chicago Cubs. I am. And I was going to say Jonathan's secret desire is when we do the draft <laughs> top one hundred, instead of using the twenty eighty scale with with deviations of five, he wants to use every number. So he's going to start giving fifty sixes and sixty ones and. 49 57.6 yeah, yeah. decimals even. why not let's do it is that precise that's how much we know the draft we can go that precise but um <laughs> i'm sure uh, anyway yeah I, I will go with the cubs again i think they have a, a nice combination of motivation in prospect depth and then they have some redundancy not as much as the orioles do where you can only put so many guys in your lineup for the future but, you know, they've got Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner signed long-term up the middle. They have Matt Shaw, their first-round pick coming. They have James Triantos, who was Offensive Player of the Year in the Arizona Fall League, still in search for position. You know, he's coming. They've got Jefferson Rojas, who's a younger shortstop. Um, they have outfielders. They've got Ian Happ, and they have Suzuki signed long-term. They may have interest in bringing Bellinger back. And they also have Pete Armstrong and Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara. They have... Moises Ballesteros, who may be a catcher. If he's not a catcher, he's, then he's only a first baseman, but he can really hit. Um, they need pitching. They have some holes in the rotation. that They just missed the playoffs. So I, I think they have one of baseball's most improved systems, and I think they're motivated. So I will go – so on the tradeability now, is tradeability the likelihood we think they're going to make a trade yes. at the winter meetings? Yes. I'm going to well, go. It doesn't have to be at specifically the winner. I'm going to go 55. I'm going to go 55 on that. I'll go 55 on the Cubs. Okay. All right. Jonathan, pick number five. How deep are we going? 30? We're going 30 deep? Yeah. This is I my last pick. This is my last pick. I mean, you already <laughs> predicted. Okay. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. So I will take, I will take the raise here. And, uh, you know, the thing that makes this interesting, maybe talk about this more when we get to the, the tradability grade is they're not a team that often like makes a big splash trade to bring in a big league player during the offseason. They're not afraid to make trades. Uh, the way the Rays do business, I'd be more interested to see like what unknown A-level player they get in a trade if they trade away a big leaguer. Uh, you know, a lot of people think they're going to trade Tyler Glass now. What, what will they bring back in return? But they certainly have a strong farm system uh, with guys, you know, at or approaching the the upper levels. Junior Caminero obviously made it to the big leagues already. I don't think he's going to be traded anywhere. Uh, Carson Williams touched double A. Curtis Mead is a guy who I could see maybe getting moved. Uh, you know, he has touched the, the big leagues uh, as well. Unsure of his defensive home, but most people feel that he can hit. Mason Montgomery was at the upper level. So uh, they have that. And then they have some interesting guys who've been at the lower levels. You know, so they could pad out if they wanted to bring in, uh, uh, you know, a player. And they're a team that always competes, and they're going to look to continue to do so in a in that ultra competitive AL East. So I think they have the ability to. I think because they're less likely to like really throw all their chips in uh, to bring in a big leaguer. You know, maybe they do something where they trade Tyler Glass now to somebody and get uh, a controllable 
starter in return. You know, they're, they're good at that. So I'm going to put them at a 50 with their tradeability grade. All right. And Jim, final pick of our six-team draft here. I'm going to go with the Brewers. And they're that this is based on talent. If I was going tradeability, like likelihood, I don't necessarily think they're as likely to make a trade because they're they're not a large revenue franchise. I think they're kind of I know they just won the division, but maybe going to go through a retooling period. You know, so I'm not quite sure that they're going to trade a lot of prospect capital. But if they wanted to, and they have a lot of ammunition, I mean, Jackson Chorio is not going anywhere. But I think Jefferson Cuero, Jacob Mizorowski, Tyler Black were probably three of the most biggest leaps onto the top 100. Tyler Black's 51 on the top 100 right now. Cuero and Mizorowski are in the 30s. Like those guys all like substantially got better this year. So did Robert Gasser. So did Carlos Rodriguez. They had a really interesting draft with guys like Brock Wilkin and Cooper Pratt. Um, Eric Brown looked great in the fall league. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of talent there. So I think they're they're very well equipped, but I think their future is going to be these prospects. And they don't have, even though they won the division, we're not talking about the Orioles or the Dodgers here where they've got stacked lineups and you run out of room to put guys. So I'm, I'm only going to go 40 tradeability on that. I'm only going to go 40, but I do think from a talent standpoint, they certainly have plenty of talent. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, Orioles, Dodgers, Reds, Cubs, Rays, and Brewers, six teams that have the prospects to potentially pull off a big trade. All right, let's uh, wrap things up here by answering a question from the mailbag. This comes from Juan Rod at Rod. Who asks, what prospect outside the top 100 will make the biggest jump this season? I'm going to go with a guy who I just mentioned, James Triantos with the Cubs, who I don't know what we talked about him, like five or six podcasts in a row. It feels like <laughs> coming up folly. We, we interviewed him, but uh, I don't know. He went to my art rival high school, so I can't I can't root for a, a James Madison product. Him or Bryce Eldridge, I don't think, uh, as a proud Oakton High School alumnus. But it's just he had. We already knew James Francis had some of the the, the better bat to ball skills in the minors. That's why he was an overslot second round pick a couple of years ago. And his batted ball data took a jump this year. Fall league, as we always say, this caveat is a hitter's league. But he was hitting the ball harder. He was driving the ball the other way at times. He was, he's not like a big runner, but he was more aggressive on the bases. I still don't know what position he's going to be, but I do think he got the double eight at the end of the year. I do think like I could see James Triantos hitting 320 with 20 homers in the minors this year. And, and, and a guy who's a very deep cup system, he's not quite on the list, jumping. And, and maybe he's a guy like we're talking about, different type of player, but like I just mentioned, Tyler Black, who's in the middle or, or even higher. Uh, you know, at the end of next season. So I just James Triantos is my pick. And and I did limit myself. There are so many potential answers <laughs> to this pick. I'm only picking one. I'll probably use this question in the pipeline and inbox and I will pick That's extra guys. Sure. I will I will pick extra guys, but I'm only picking one, even though this is much more fascinating than me, the rule five draft. And I gave you two rule five guys. So see, I, I still don't trust that he's not going to circle back after you. Make Only it. Jim could talk another 30 seconds about how he wasn't going to pick another guy. Uh, I'm going to pick Colt Emerson uh, of the Seattle Mariners. And when we sort of looked at this, uh, I'm always intrigued by the guys from last year's draft, especially the high school guys, or, you know, you don't know what they're going to do. He was the Mariners uh, first round pick 22nd overall last year. Um, you know, from the Ohio high school ranks, you know, you look at the Mariners track record, uh, you know, Cole Young worked his way into the top 100, Harry Ford's in the top 100, they've taken high school bats. So I think there's some, I feel some comfortability that they know what they're doing and, and, and picking guys who are going to have really strong first full seasons. Uh, he's super athletic. He was a really good football player and it's only been focusing on baseball for a short period of time it was until his senior year of high school. And he went out and had a really good, but brief pro debut where he had an OPS over a thousand. Uh, he's going to hit, there's going to be power. I think more power to come. The only real question is whether or not he stays at shortstop forever, uh, but he's played third before he'd looked fine there. Uh, you know, Cole Young might be in the way eventually anyway, uh, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think this is the kind of high school guy that he goes straight to full season ball. 
plays across two levels, if not more, in his first full season. Um, you know, sort of what the Mariners have been have been doing. Uh, if, if they show they can hit Cole Young, play between you know A and, and high A, I could see him putting up some really good numbers uh, across those two levels and, and making that big jump into the top 100 in 2024. Good question, Juan Rod. Thank you very much. And thanks very much to Marty Wolliver for joining us on today's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it. We, uh, we're we going to wrap up here, aren't we? Yeah, good to see good. you guys, Jim. John. Jim, last chance. You want to throw in another name? I'm going to wait. Uh, you have to wait for the <laughs> inbox. Try, I'm trying to buy time. <laughs> All right. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, Leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.